Uh, this is the, the Mini Dragons Kids as Commissioners session. Uh, my name's John Hancock. I'm a series producer at CBeebies. Um, in this session, we are going to briefly uh, explore to what extent children could be more involved than they are in creative decision-making and commissioning uh, processes. Adults, we all make decisions about our content. Commissioners make calls on what uh, will be kind of broadcast or made. And for as long as we know and understand what children will like and how they will respond to our content, that as a, as a model is all well and good. But what if we don't quite know how they will feel or how they will respond? Does that challenge how our uh, research techniques kind of need to take place and what we need to do there. Could children make more decisions than they do currently? Is it more a case of uh, us being able to trust ourselves to trust them? So we're going to be touching on some of those things today. We have, or will have, I've got three empty seats at the moment, but we will have uh, an expert panel of three people who each bring expertise and insight into this area. And we also are doing a live experiment here this morning. We have four real-life children here, uh, which is brilliant. And uh, by way of uh, introducing them and uh, the role that they are going to take part in this session, uh, have a look at this. These are the Mini Dragons. Tiny and terrifying, influential and in year three. Over the next 60 minutes, they will make or break the dreams of experienced creatives. To face them takes nerve and vision. So who will lead with praise from the Mini Dragons? Let's give them a warm round of applause. Come and have a seat, guys. Fantastic. Here they are. So we have, from left to right, I met them literally seconds ago. Uh, so this is very exciting. So I have Sophie. Is that right? There's Sophie. Uh, we have Nemo. Uh, we have the Deborah Meaden of the group. We have uh, Alex. You're Deborah Meaden. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. It's going to be like that. And... Uh, Kelly something, and good, and, uh, and we've got Conrad on the end. There's Conrad. You can be Deborah Mead, and that's brilliant. So, so the way that uh, it is going to work is that these wonderful uh, mini dragons are going to have three ideas uh, pitched to them, and they will then... Oh, you are brilliant. Uh, it means that someone is going to explain a new idea to you. Okay, good stuff. Totally loving this. And they will then uh, leave the room and deliberate for a time whilst we all have a well-earned breather. And, um, and then they will come back in and share their thoughts. It's going to be very exciting. And uh, just to explain that we have three very different ideas that are going to be pitched to you. It's not about comparing the ideas to one another. We're not about picking which one is the best. We just want to know what you think about each one. Um, each picture will have five minutes and not a second more, uh, as displayed on my wonderful uh, digital display screen down here. Uh, so first up, uh, we have Kate Pickering. So this is Kate, everyone. She is going to tell you about an idea she has got and I want you to listen very carefully. 
Are you ready? Kate, your five minutes starts now. Thank you, John. Hello, everybody. Hi, my name's Kate Pickering. I'm a development producer, and I make ideas for digital toys, games, and TV shows. And today, I'm going to spend my five minutes pitching to you a digital toy idea I've got. Um, what would be great is because five minutes isn't very long, so if you could save up any questions you've got until the end, I'm going to save a few seconds at the end for any questions. Is that okay? Brilliant. Deborah, is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. Okay, so today I need a clicker. Oh, I'm sorry. So today I'm going to pitch an idea to you called Catasplat. Now, as I said before, Catasplat, it's down there on the screen in front of you as well. Um, so Catasplat is a digital toy. I'm going to explain a little bit more about what this description is, it's an augmented reality single and multiplayer toy for seven to nine-year-olds available as a native application. Okay, there's lots of words there. First of all, what does augmented reality mean? Well, augmented reality is kind of all around us. You've probably seen it recently on the TV in football matches. Yeah, the World Cup, when they do post-match analysis and they highlight different areas of the pitch so that they can talk about offside rules and things like that that I don't really understand. Um, you can see it in sat-navs. So on a sat-nav, maybe if your parents have got a sat-nav in the car, you can see what route you, you can go down on a country lane. Or you can use a mobile phone to look at the room that you're in and maybe bring some of your favourite characters into that room. Now... The last one, using a mobile phone, is how this digital toy works. So let me explain to you what Catasplat is. Catasplat basically takes a catapult slingshot and augments it, so puts it into your mobile phone, so you can fire ammunition at whoever and whatever you want. Can, can you just save... I'll, I'll answer a question at the end, if that's okay. So, in the phone, see, there we go, we've got the phone, we've got the slingshot, and we also need ammunition. But before we decide what ammunition we're going to have, we have to decide what our target is. So, in this case, the target is a teacher. So, okay, so, we have to decide what ammunition we need to slingshot at the teacher. So here we can have a, a slide showing lots and lots of different kinds of ammunition. I'm going to pick rubbish and lumpy custard to fire at the teacher. So once I've picked those, I can blend them together and I can form lots of cartridges of ammunition that you can see there at the bottom of the screen. And let's see what happens when we fire that at the teacher. Okay, so then you've, you've aimed and you've fired your slingshot at the teacher and it's splattered him on the face. Obviously, aim is really important. So then you can take a photograph by taking a picture with the top left-hand button. If you want to share that, you can. Um, and also, um, you can play a multiplayer game, which I'll explain now. So you either have one or more opponents... Through facial recognition, so you know like when you take a photo with your phone or a camera, it recognises where people's faces are. You can actually target, and your aim is really important because you have to fire at the people, and whoever gets the most hits wins. 
using up all of their ammunition. So you can like play running around the room or you can hide and see, you can do it that way, you can do all kinds of things. Okay, so important to this is the ammunition. So ammunition changes and that is the absolute joy of it. And you can actually save different kinds of ammunition at the end. So if you can see, there's two different kinds there. And the kind of things that you can do are egg, Simon cow. You can cheer up Grumpy Cat with some balloons. He might need some more than balloons, just cheer him up. Or you can show your affection for your favourite boy band. <laughs> but you shouldn't get your ammunition muddled up because that really isn't ideal. Um, so we've got 20 seconds. Has anyone got any questions? Yes, Deborah. Well, just when you bump into him on the street. I mean, surely you see Simon Cowell around all the time. No, you don't. <laughs> okay, so you could do it then with your brother or sister or your mum and dad or whoever is around. We're out of time, I'm afraid. We but are. thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you, Kate. So, dragons, that's the first idea, and it's called catasplats, okay? Okay, good stuff. I, don't, I, don't, I think you should change the name Do you know what? Just hold on to that thought, because we're going to get your thoughts later. I have four kids, by the way. This is like a daily thing for me. Water off a duck's back. Um, fantastic. So we've got another idea for you now. Can I hear a ooh? You can't do that with the real dragons. Um, Sue and Lindsay, we're going to welcome them to the stage. Give them a little round of applause because they've got another idea for you. You can do the time. Yeah, okay. What you need to do is you just need to touch the screen. You have to say, you have to say, are you ready? Are you ready? Uh, yes, I think so. Then your time starts. Then your time starts now. Three seconds ago. Thank you. Well, good morning and welcome. And it's brilliant that you are here um, to show the experts how to commission your projects and a chance to show them what you know. This morning, we'd like to present to you a publishing proposal of Hattie B. Magical Vet by pen name Claire Taylor-Smith. Let me introduce you to the team. There's myself, Lindsay Taylor, the Taylor part of Claire Taylor-Smith, and Suzanne Smith, and we're the creators of Hattie B. Magical Vet, and we've teamed up with Claire Baker to write and Lorena Alvarez-Gomez, who illustrates the wonderful Hattie. Let's find out who Hattie is. Harriet is based on my daughter, Harriet, who has always wanted and still wants to become a vet. At a very young age, she would have all of her toys lined up in her make-believe veterinary surgery. As a horse-mad child, she'd have toy horses, but unicorns and pegasus, all wrapped up in toilet paper as bandages and sprinkled with talcum powder as fairy dust to make them better. This was so lovely that we needed to do something with it, so Suzanne and myself got together to discuss, well, where do poorly magical creatures go? A magic vet, of course. So the character then, the fictional character of Hattie B, she's the uh, the daughter of two very busy vets. She enters into a magical cave via a tatty old vet's bag that she received as a mystery gift on her 10th birthday. And when she opened it, she fell into the bag, falling down, 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 and landing in a jewel-encrusted cave with potion bottles, a vet's table, vet's tools, and a very old remedy book. Each story, she's going to cure a new magical beast. 
she has a special friend within the cave called Mythical, who happens to be a tiny pink dragon. And when she's in the cave, time stops so nobody misses her. But why Hattie? Well, every generation of the Bright family has a guardian identified by the white streak in her hair and a star on their cheek as a birthmark. And when they turn the age of 10, they take over looking after the beasts in the magical kingdom of Belua. So let us meet Hattie. She's the main character of our brand new fictional series, who is an ordinary girl holding on to the most amazing secret, even keeping this secret from her very best friend, Chloe. She is the only human to have access in the magical kingdom where possibilities are limitless. She finds herself as the guardian of the magical kingdom of Belua, and the creatures are in desperate need of her help. The kingdom is being tormented by the evil King Ivor of the Imps, who wants to steal all of the magical creatures from the, uh, for, of powers uh, to become the overall supreme leader. But Hattie's first priority is that she must treat the creature, that, and she has to venture up things like rumbling volcanoes, dive into the frozen mare lakes, risk all in the ancient desert to find remedies to restore and treat creatures back to their former selves, conquering the evil King Ivor as she goes. In each story, we're going to have a new beast to help treat and restore power, new risky missions for Hattie to endure, friendships to be made, but above all else, meeting some amazing creatures along the way only ever heard of in fairy tales. To ensure that our, fun, uh, our stories are fun, Hattie B also travels into schools, and we've road tested with lesson plans and where children can design their own beasts, make them out of clay, draw their own maps of Bellua, and create their very own Hattie B story, and these have proved very popular with children. So our proposal to you today is four titles to launch with two to follow up, providing the first six in series one, seeing Hattie B overcoming King Ivor. Lesson plans and workshops for schools, Website launch of worldofhattiebee.com for Hattiebee fun, games and facts. Uh, plans and ambitions for a live-action CGI TV series similar to House of Anubis or Merlin. So for some heart-racing and adrenaline-pumping adventures, say yes to Hattiebee Magical Vet. And thank you guys for listening. Very quiet, not they? Oh, I've got loads of time. Any questions? <laughs> Have you guys got any questions? Uh oh well, if you have a dragon, how do you cure it? <gasps> That's one of our first stories, and actually the dragon loses her song, which is really important for a dragon because they have to sing their enemies to sleep. So if he's lost his song, then he can't, he can't protect himself. So Hattie B has to actually find a, a sunray flower up the volcano to cure that dragon. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Where did the magic come from? Ah, the magic is actually in a magical kingdom that she falls through her vet's, uh, her vet's bag and ends up in this cave. So she has to actually make the remedies. Um, she's not like Harry Potter. She doesn't have a magic wand. She has to actually treat them so she becomes like a real-life vet in this magical world. That's a good question. Thank you. Why have you done a book called The Unicorn's Hole? Well, that's the second title, and the unicorn's horn, that's, that's what's poorly. So the unicorn's horn is poorly and damaged, and Hattie B has to fix it. Okay, so I'm, I'm going I'm to save you. Thank you. From further interrogation. Yeah, in a minute, okay. So are you ready? Yeah. Here is the other idea that John is going to talk to you. Go for it. 
Hello, uh, my name is John and I am here to uh, tell you about an idea I've had for a television programme based on a theatre show that I made a few years ago. It combines fantastic stories with super fun games and spectacular circus. So, I'm inviting you to roll up, roll up. The giant circus has come to town. Now, the giant is actually a giant and he's pitched his big top in Millennium Square, just outside here in Sheffield. It is a uniquely brilliant circus because not only is it owned and run by an actual giant, it is also the only circus in the world where you, the audience, get to be part of the show. So there are 13 episodes. Each of the first 12 episodes works a bit like this. Um, the giant, he's been given a grant to run some workshops with children from this city. Now, he doesn't really want to run workshops with children. He doesn't even like children, but he'll take the money where he can get it. And in each episode, a new group or class of children, or maybe even mini dragons, arrive at the circus and they are met by the ringmaster. <laughs> now, the ringmaster, before, before he allows them into his big top, he tells them a story on each episode about how dangerous the circus is and why it's so important to obey the giant's rules. We're going to come back to those in a minute. So, for example, this story about terrible circus injury number one, which is Lion Tamer's arm. Oh my days, he lost his arm. Now you can sometimes stick that back on with a bit of tiger spit and glue, but, but, but not always. Um, or the story of the amazing Perforado, who forgot the first rule of sword swallowing, which is that sword swallowing should only be done through the mouth. Now, because it's very dangerous to not do it through the mouth. Now the ringmaster... He is assisted in all of this by the lovely, loyal, four-year-old Colin the Bear. Um, now, it is Colin's dream to one day fly high in the circus like the other performers, but number one of the Giants' rules is no bears in the air. And number two is all bears must wear roller skates at all times. So, so Colin, he, he doesn't fly. He sweeps and he cleans and he helps all the other members of the circus family who are his heroes and they love him. I mean, everyone loves Colin the Bear. Everyone except the ringmaster who thinks he is a stupid, smelly, clumsy animal who's always getting everything wrong. But, you know, if you were four and you were made to wear roller skates all the time, just imagine how difficult it would be to do your chores. <laughs> but don't worry about the disgusting bear. He's only an animal and it's time for your workshop. Now, each episode, each group of children meet a different member of the circus family and they learn a different circus skill. We have uh, Rosie, the hoop-flying contortionist, who will teach you how to spin a wicked hula hoop. Or Roisin, from the age of four, an all-Ireland gymnast and now a star of the flying trapeze, with her partner, Garisho the Great, a man so strong that he is the only human to have ever beaten the giant in an arm wrestling contest competition. They will teach you how to fly through the air like a bird. And there's Maddie, the sister, the human sister of Colin the Bear, star of the ring, and she will teach you how to climb and tumble. And all of them are helped by Colin, who isn't allowed to join in, except 
except, um, look, while the ringmaster isn't here, um, if we teach you our skills, will you come back and use them and help us to change the show? Change the show from the one the giant makes us do the, to the show that we all actually want to do and make Colin's dream of flying come true. Will you help? Yes! Yes! So each episode finishes with the characters getting the children to promise to help them. And in return, at the end of each episode, those characters perform their amazing act for them. Uh, now, the 13th final episode is a very special live event. All the children from all the previous episodes return for a grand finale. They play games, they parade to the big top, they're told stories, and they witness the giant's extravaganza. But during the show, Colin makes another, another mistake. He gives the ringmaster a banana instead of a microphone. The ringmaster loses his temper and he beats Colin until his feisty sister steps in, telling him to leave my brother alone. And this is, this is your moment. This is where, to defeat the ringmaster, everyone needs to use their skills that they've learned to change the show. Because if this doesn't work, then Maddie and Colin are going to be kicked out to spend the rest of their lives hanging out around the back of supermarkets, begging for honey that's gone past its sell-by date. <laughs> And the giant show will just go on as before. But if you all work together, show the ringmaster that the giant doesn't control us. He can't beat us and tell us what to do. Then we can change the show, make it so much better. And Colin, Colin can fly. That is the ultimate ambition for you to achieve at the end of the show. So um, if... If defeating evil giant corporations through the power of play and circus to help Colin the Bear fly sounds like all the fun, and I think it does, then I'd love to work with you to make it a reality. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Okay, so, well, we've slightly run out of time for the questions now. But you are going to leave this room now and you are going to chat to some of my friends about those ideas. You can remember them and then you can come back to us a bit later with some comments. Should we give our mini dragons a round of applause? And also to our pitchers as well. Uh, many thanks to our, our pictures for doing that. A heck of a lot of information uh, in all of those. And so just to explain some of the, the process that's happening now, uh, Dan and, and Sinead um, are from the BBC Children's Stepping Out team. They uh, organise a lot of visits to schools for us to test um, uh, content with them and for us to glean information for them. They're perfect at finding very talkative children. Um, and so they are going to refresh the children's memories on those ideas, help them formulate some thoughts, but in no way feed them uh, thoughts. On these here three questions, they're just going to be considering what did you think about the pitch? Uh, what did you think was good about the idea? And what, could, what do you think could make the idea better? Now, I just want to reiterate that this isn't about us critiquing those ideas. It's not about us or them picking which idea uh, they think is best out of the three. What I would love us to do now is to spend a little bit of time just considering and sharing with each other what do we think they are going to say in answer to these questions about those ideas. It's a little kind of litmus test of 
do we know how they feel about these ideas? Can we foretell? Can we see how they may think about them? So we should have a rover. We've got a couple of mics uh, ready to rove around. Let's consider Kate's idea, the catasplat idea. Anyone just want to share a, a thought in answer to any one of those questions? What might the mini dragons think or feel about the pitch? What might they think was good about the idea? What do they think could make that idea better? Some people just uh, share some ideas for me, please. Come now. Perhaps, um, perhaps they might ask, um, will I get into trouble if I splat my teacher and take a photograph of him? Okay. Anyone else? What do, the, what do you think they would think is good about the idea? I think the part that they can do something, that they mentioned the teacher as an example, that it's the good part. Okay, so that you can do it to your teachers is good. Anyone want to offer any thoughts about what they think could make the idea better? I thought it was really interesting that Deborah mentioned um, about the access to Simon Cowell and so on. So it's interesting to see how literally they take the pitch you know, what, is, what actually can they do with that? So be interested to see what they say. Yeah, and I should just, you know, I do want to thank the, the pitchers genuinely because they've, they've, they've put themselves in a very vulnerable position to kind of put their ideas forward. And it's not about, this isn't an exercise about how do you pitch well to children. This is not about that. It's about their reaction to, to the ideas. So anyone, anyone else just want to comment on the catasplats idea? I think for the last one, for the what could make the idea better... I wonder if they'll come back with some really gross suggestions of what they could actually throw. <laughs> really rough ones. Okay, good stuff. Anyone else on the catasplats idea want to comment on that? Um, I was wondering if they might like to create their own splats, you know, custom-made ones. Custom-made splats. Good stuff. Okay, let's think uh, about the, the second idea, um, Hattie B, the, the magical vet. Anyone want to offer any thoughts about what they th might think about the pitch, what they may say was good, what could improve that idea? I think it would be really interesting to see what the boys thought about that, because I think my daughter would love it, but my, my son wouldn't. So I think, although watching them, they were still engaged, they were listening very carefully, but I think that would be quite interesting to see how that splits on gender lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll be interested to hear um, how much they were taken in by story, because I just felt like that had the most... Well, the second one had a story as well, but I was interested in the storytelling of that, and I'll be interested to see if that captivates them or not. OK. Anyone want to hazard a guess as to what they may specifically say is good about the idea? And someone else, what specifically they think could improve the idea? Let's try and hone in on those. Um, yeah, for the last question, I... I was wondering whether they <coughs> might notice that there's only one child character in the story and whether there are any other friends who become involved in the adventure. Okay, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, to your question, what, what I think they will like about the idea is, you know, animals and magic. I think it's, it's a great combination of those two things. And I'm quietly hoping that the boys will have gone for that as well because one of the boys who asked the question was about how the magic works. So I think, you know, it's a lovely idea of 
animals, but they're made-up animals, and they're doing something practical, playing vets and stuff, and magic. Okay, good stuff, thank you. Anyone else want to comment on that one before we move on to the others? I'm just capturing some of these thoughts so that I can kind of compare and contrast with what the children say later. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I thought the way that the character was drawn, although the backgrounds were quite kind of uh, gender uh, orientated, there were purples and blues, but I, the, the girl herself looked really fantastically um, engaging to both genders, I think. <clears throat> okay, fantastic, thank you. And then let's just try and capture some, some thoughts about what we think they're going to say in response to those questions about John's, uh, John's idea. Anyone want to offer some thoughts? <laughs> that he happens to be the exact producer of this session is purely coincidental. I think they'll say, uh, where is the giant? Because you don't see him at all. We heard so much about him. But that would be the big draw as a boy, I think. Where is the, uh, where is, where okay. is the giant? Yeah, good, good thought. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, yeah, I think that um, they'll love the fact that they can get involved and actually be the hero of the story and save the day. They definitely had a strong reaction to that when you said it. Okay, good stuff. Any more for any more? What could be better? Yeah, I just thought that there was uh, seemed to be two, two main characters. Your, your ringmaster and your giant were both sort of baddies, and whether they'll pick up on that, they seem to be quite scary characters. So too many characters and that they oh, are no, potentially no, just scary. Just the two main oh, characters, two main characters. seem to be, um, to be baddies. Okay. Good stuff. Go ahead. I think they might ask for some clarity on exactly how they would be involved. Um, about the how they <laughs> how the what the pitch was like was the thought that you brought it in. You really brought the 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 kids in. You even brought me into the pitch. I was watching it, you know, from the way that you came straight on and went right. This is you know, this is what it is. It really they really brought you really brought them in. Great stuff, thank you. We've got one more comment and then we'll move on to our next kind of section. Uh, yeah, I'll be I'm interested to know whether they um, worry about the fact that the bear is basically just a bloke with a beard <laughs> and a bit of a hat or something. You know, whether they say he doesn't look like a bear or whether they're happy to sort of go with that level of theatricality. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. And whilst this isn't... I'm, I'm kind of riffing here, I'm going off the top of my head, because we're, I want to hone in on this idea of decision-making and of commissioning. I think I will ask the children, do, would they want to see them all actually happen in real life? What do you think their answer will be to that? Will they just say yes? Will they say one or some? Hands up, just as an as a opinion poll here, who thinks they will just carte blanche say yeah? we would want to see all of them. Okay, and anyone think that they would say only kind of one or, or two? Okay, so that's a unanimous kind of opinion. Okay, that's fine. Well, this is nothing more than a little experiment, so we'll see. Um, I'm going to ask our panel to uh, come and sit on the, the, the chairs up here now. We've got Cheryl Taylor, who's the uh, controller of CBBC. Uh, yeah, let's give them a round of applause. Uh, George Rowe and Joe Cliff as well. And um, so these uh, have each been handpicked for their um, experience and expertise in 
in this, in this area, some insight they can bring to us. By way of introducing uh, Cheryl, last year she commissioned uh, Blue Peter, You Decide, which was uh, a series in which the CBBC audience uh, voted Lindsay Russell as the 36th Blue Peter presenter. Uh, and in case you missed it or need a recap, here's a little video to give you a highlight. These are the only people who've done it. Until now... Blue Peter is looking for a brand new presenter. 20,000 got in touch, but only 10 made it through. Go, go, go! This 10 will face a series of grueling challenges across the country, from the depths of Cornwall. To the top of the tower. Each week, they'll be scrutinised by our expert judges, Eamon Holmes, Marlene Glass and Kel Spellman. I have to be honest with you, you failed the challenge. And only the best will survive. But in the end, it's all down to you, as ultimately you, the CBBC viewers, choose who gets the job. Who will be your new Blue Peter presenter? This is Blue Peter, you decide. Tens of thousands of you have voted. The next Blue Peter presenter, as chosen by you, the CBBC viewers, is... So that is uh, Blue Peter, you decide. Um, Cheryl, as you, you have the word controller in your job title, you must love kind of authority and you must love kind of power and control. So, you know, what was the experience like for you to put that decision-making power in the, in, in the hands of the audience? Um, well, contrary to your summation there, actually, <laughs> it, was, it was thrilling. It was uh, properly thrilling um, because... I mean, we often, as you know, put kids in the heart of um, the programmes that we make. And the idea that for a flagship show like Blue Peter, you could have a generation of children who genuinely could, A, watch what was, I think, an incredibly well-made series. So regardless of the end result, uh, there were some absolutely thrilling and exciting journeys that all those wannabe um, presenters made along the way, which I think was great. But to think there was a generation of children who, in years to come could say we watched that series and we did vote and we made a difference and now we kind of have a vested interest in in particularly Lindsay obviously because she she won um I think was was one of the key things that made it so I mean I still get a frisson actually watching all that because it was just very exciting and as I say thousands um did take part 
and I think they will have, um, you know, a real vested interest in the show as a result. And so, did they make the right decision? <laughs> I mean, of the ten that had got to the shortlist... Um, can I... One of the things that we... There was a, a huge amount of planning for this show, and I have to give all credit to the, the wonderful team that, uh, from in-house who... I mean, the planning that went into it um, took months and months and months to be very careful about it. And one of the things we said right from the beginning, because I was part of a, quite a, a, a broad group of people who eventually decided on the, the sort of long list, as it were, the long short list, was that we weren't going to put anybody through who we, as a group wouldn't be happy to see winning the show. So, and we were very strict about that. There were some people who, you know, were, were quirky or beautiful or whatever it was. But in terms of the job that they were going to have to do, we didn't want to put anyone in that position where if the kids voted for them because they liked their frock or their shoes or their headband or whatever it was, that we go, oh, no, they can't do the job. So that was one of the, if not the main criteria for, for the shortlist. And I think, I mean, I don't know how many of you actually saw the series, but, you know, it was heart-rendering as a result because all of those guys who eventually made it into the, <coughs> into the shortlist I thought were, were just fantastic. And as each one was voted out, it was, um, it was traumatic, basically. Um, but, but yes, absolutely. And that was said, you know, the fact that Lindsay won and is now been in the job a year and doing really well is delightful. And would you do it again? Or is some of the specialness of it that it, that it was a, a unique thing, a one-off? I think, I think it would entirely depend on the show, actually. I mean, Blue Peter is unique. It's the longest-running kids' show, you know, in the world. And so the cachet um, for our audience of being involved um, in making such a key decision is very special to that brand. Um, I think if, you know, someone came up with the right idea for the right, for the right show, then yes, we would, because we, we deemed it a, a great success and it all went very well. Mm. And the other thing I want to just kind of quiz you on a little. You obviously pitched ideas many, many times a weekday. Um, and... Perhaps often, accompanying the taste of tape or a presentation of the idea, mm. there'll be a supporting video or soundbite, video bite from a child saying, I love this idea, I think it's going to be brilliant. As if anyone in their right <laughs> mind would present a, a piece of video of some, a kid going, I'm not really sure about this. <laughs> to what extent are you swayed or affected by that? As someone who is a content maker and has mm. pitched ideas to people, I have in the past felt it has no bearing whatsoever. But equally, there have been other times when the controller seems to really latch on to something that a child says. Mm. So to what extent does it sway or affect your decision-making? I think, obviously, it's always interesting, you know, to hear um, what a child has to say about something. And as you know, we run a, um, a very frequent stepping-out service, which we use both for established shows that might be returning, where we, we ask a, a very you know, wide group of children what they think of it but also sometimes when pictures come in and I'm genuinely interested to hear um, about what they think but obviously they're different age groups we have a, one of our biggest sort of issues is is the breadth of our audience from six to twelve so there are a lot of if you've got one individual child responding to whatever it is a, a digital proposition uh, or a long-running series or an enter you just have to take the context I think um, into consideration but the short answer is I'm always interested to hear what children think. Mm, yeah. Great stuff, thank you. And that's a great time to bring in Joe. 
who, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work at Platypus? Yeah, so um, we're a market research agency um, and we specialise in the, the kids' um, market um, and we do a lot of research um, looking at sort of different sort of um, products, different um, programmes, um, apps, that sort of thing that are targeting children. So we do a lot of work uh, specifically with children but also with parents and teachers, etc. Good stuff, thank you. And, and so you've obviously got extensive kind of experience about quantitative and qualitative research. And as a controller, coming back to this kind of core idea of decision-making, Cheryl knows her own mind. Do children, and it's such a broad statement, I'm yeah. very aware, but do they know their own mind? Do they not just think what we lead them to think? Um, I think it's quite clear from the four children that were on the chairs just then, that's quite a clear example of at least one of the children knowing her own mind. Um, but I think from a very, very early age, uh, children do know their own mind and they do have preferences and are able to kind of make judgments about the world around them. But what is different is how um, they get from the gut feeling that they have about something to then what they actually communicate to the outside world. Um, and there's a lot that goes on in between those two things that actually can change what they actually say. And they are, children can be very susceptible to how we um, propose to them, how we talk to them, um, and they can be led and, and easily sort of suggestible to different things, definitely. Yeah, and so for... I mean, we have a, a kind of a wide breadth of, of kind of people here. Not all of us will have access to our own kind of bespoke stepping out type facility. Uh, neither may we have the facilities to come to the likes of you to mm. kind of commission research. So, I mean, what are the challenges to, to find children whose opinions we can really trust when we're developing our... Uh, I don't think it's necessarily the type of child. I think every single child is capable of giving an opinion. It might not be a verbal opinion. It might be an opinion that they've written down or it might be something that they, they've separately done in a room to a video camera on their own and they don't think you're there listening to them. There's different ways of allowing them to give those opinions. So it's not necessarily about the child. I think it's about how we sort of set up the, the way we speak to them in the first place and reassure them that it's absolutely fine to say they don't like something um, as much as it is to say they do like something. Um, obviously, children generally don't like to let people down and they don't like to upset people. So I think in this given situation, the children will be quite worried about upsetting you guys and saying anything can, that, you, that might kind of um, go against your ideas. But I think generally what we tend to do is actually say, it doesn't matter to me, I'm really interested in what you have to say and, and set it up in that way. Um, that tends to kind of reassure them and, and help them to kind of actually say what their opinion actually is. I'm not so sure Sophie's going to fall into that. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe well, not. We'll see. Um, and let me bring in uh, George here. Uh, George is a digital producer at Ardman and uh, he's part of the team that has just launched a competition called Sean's Game Academy and here's a little video to uh, explain that. Hey you, do you like video games? Who doesn't, right? They're awesome. They let you explore amazing lands. Become cool characters with mind-blowing powers and take on quests you don't dream of. But hang on, what if you create your own characters and design your own worlds? The Northern Trust and Arvin Animations have teamed up with releasing a huge pile of character places and rocks from the Sean Sheep universe into scratch coding platforms. And now we will use the game for us and win some rad prizes. You may not but here are Arvin Animations. 
racing games, Batman games, platformers and puzzlers, with novel characters from the Arvin Bat Catalog as well as well-known CBBC shows. Now we know making games might seem complicated, but fear not, my young game warriors. All you need is a good idea, and we'll provide the tools to get you started. We also have a panel of toast-prepared game industry bigwigs, sharing their experiences and helping you along the way. The winner will get to come visit the Arvin Animation Studio. They have a game tuned for perfection by the Arvin Digital Team and have a statue of gold. Well, maybe not a statue Now what we're looking for is something a bit different. Something that puts our character and his friends into a whole new scene. Whatever that adventure is, it's up to you. So, if you're a fan of Sean the Sheep or just love computer games, press the start button now and get Sean's Game Academy. Come on you lot, let's make fun. So, George, is there anything that you want to kind of explain more about the competition beyond what that just showed us? Um, well, it, sort of, it came about for two reasons, really. Um, we do lots of user testing of kids when we make games, and we all obviously ask them, like, when they play through a game, what would make this game a bit better? Like, what do you think? And they come up with some completely bonkers ideas. Like, we made um, a platform game about, about the Deadly 60 show, Deadly... Dash, which is the actual running along. Now, so what would make this game better? And the uh, girl said, what about if at the end of the level, you get locked in a castle by Henry VIII and he cuts your head off? <laughs> <laughs> that would make it better. <laughs> <laughs> and we sort of get all these ideas and they're fantastic and everything. Well, yeah, that's a great idea, but that, that, that wouldn't work. It doesn't fit with the game. But kind of thought, well, who are we to decide that that wouldn't make that a better game? So we kind of wanted to give the kids the ability to, to make those games, to make those completely crazy ideas and sort of empower them to be able to do it themselves. So these are like a, a suite of learning resources to be able to do that, basically. Uh, and another reason was um, we, did, we were involved in a project called the Tape Movie Project a few years ago, where uh, a group of kids basically wrote and did all the artwork and did everything for a film, a completely amazing, bonkers film called The Itch of a Golden Knit. Uh, and we want to do the same with a video game, but there isn't quite the community around uh, game development. There, there is um, around films and animation, things of that age. So we wanted to sort of try and grow that community so we could do something like that in the future. Yeah, good stuff. And um, so tell us about the... It's a competition. There will thereby be a winner yes. of the competition. A few who, different winners, yeah. Who judges the winner? Well, um, we've actually got, as you said, uh, we've got a panel of uh, industry judges who are all adults basically, um, and it was part of it, I mean, we, do, we are taking on scratch when everyone makes their games, kids can like and love projects and then remix them, so we're taking uh, the projects that the games that kids have made and the ones that have been like, we've taken that into account, but it's, like, it's being judged by adults because kids are obviously great at, the, they know what they like, but they're not quite as good at taking that kind of step back and saying objectively, would other people like this, Is the, does this fit? the kind of criteria of what is a good game and what a lot of people would like. So we've got sort of taking kids' uh, thoughts into account in what they're voting on scratch, but it's being judged by adults because if we could get it judged by thousands of kids all sitting around doing it, that would be perfect, but that logistically mm. that's not quite possible. Sure. So we're to, to try and make it a bit more objective, that's why we've still got a team of adults doing it. Yeah, fantastic. Just before we bring the, the mini dragons back, I just want to ask um, Cheryl a question again. So as a controller, you receive kind of fairly constant kind of feedback through stepping out and other means um, by way of, of, of feedback. 
Could you ever imagine being in a position where you, there were other things at your disposal, not just that? I mean, could you have, for example, in a way a, a charity may have a board of trustees, but also a council of references, a kind of a team to kind of draw on for that kind of <coughs> critical advice? Could you ever imagine having a, a small group of, of trusted, well-chosen children to kind of talk to? I, I, I mean, I'm just keen to know to what extent you would like to know more than you do about children when um, you make your calls? Well, I do. I talk to children a lot anyway. I've got two children of my own, five and ten, who watch, obviously, a lot of CBBC um, pilots and content and comment on it. Um, and obviously, within the department, there are a lot of people who, you yourself, have four children. And, and, and uh, it's never, it's never it, obviously, me in isolation making sure, a decision. Sure. It, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Um, you know, there's commissioners and uh, execs in in-house and in the the indie commissioning team who all look at stuff and we all chat about it. Um, and I think, I mean, I'd say that in terms of time allowing, time permitting, we interface with children and, and hear about children's um, responses probably as much as we can. And I would say probably as much as we need to because, um, just as you were saying, there are always other considerations that actually a child's opinion um, isn't particularly helpful, whether that's about budget, whether it's about having too many shows of the same type, whether it's about can it be made in the time available, etc., etc., etc. So I'd, I'd say the short answer is that I'm confident that we, we um, in a sense, include children's opinion as much as we need to. Mm, great stuff. Thank you. Um, I'm hoping to have a few minutes left at the end for questions to the, to the panel, but uh, please stay here for the moment. Don't leave me alone with them um, <laughs> up here. Can we, can we please bring the dragons back in? Can we unleash the dragons? Brace yourselves, everyone. Life jackets are under your seats. Um, and so, as I said before, we, we're going to just spend a short amount of time reviewing the three ideas and, and asking them what they thought about them and, and just as a, as a small experiment to see whether what we felt they may think about those ideas is in fact what they, what they thought. So like all good commissioners, they've been drinking uh, cappuccinos non-stop out there. They've downed half a Danish and here they are. Brilliant. Am I under the shelf? You, you are a little bit under the shelf. Um, that's, that's, not, that's not an analogy for... Sorry. Beg your pardon? You, no, you're not, you're not going to see the videos again, so you've got to just use your memories, OK? You've got to remember. So, I, so we're going to think about the catasplats idea. Do you remember that one? And... Uh, all right, I'll get maybe to you in just a minute. Alice. Hello, Alice. Alice, what did you think about the pitch? I think it was done well because she explained it and she didn't just um, tell you. OK, good. And Deborah, have you got a thought on that as well? What did you think about the pitch? Good I? Well, she explained it well. She's a lovely person. She explained it well again. Voice sounds like a butterfly. Cheryl, have you ever commissioned anything because someone has the voice of a butterfly? I will be doing very shortly. Yeah. Excellent. That's good to know. Okay, what was good about that idea, Conrad? Um, well, I thought that uh, the multiplayer idea was um, 
quite clever because most of the time it's not running around the room trying to splat people. It's more like holding a device and tapping things. So I thought the multiplayer idea was um, good. And then I also thought the name Catasplat was also quite inventive and I thought it was really good. What, what would you like to splat, Conrad? What or who would you like to splat? My sister. <laughs> Go on. Um. Deborah Meaden. You. Oh. <laughs> like I said, home from home, really. Um, Nemo, what did you like about that idea? Well, she explained it well, and she made a good choice about making that game. Okay, that's good. And Conrad, what, what could make that idea better? Have you, have you had a think about that? What I thought was instead of having to take pictures of people, you could just take them off the internet. Like maybe just go on your device to Google images or something like that. Take a, take a photo and then just carry on splatting it rather than having to walk past them and then take pictures. <laughs> You're not, it's not going to be very easy to find Simon Cowell on the street in Sheffield. That's what I thought, really. So. Yeah. But that's interesting that we touched on that, accessibility to pictures, isn't it? Sophie, I'm sensing you have something to say. Deborah. Deborah. <laughs> Different name to crawl for cat. Music splat. Oh, call it music splat instead. Okay. Um, Thank you. So we're going to think about the Hattie B idea. So that's the book idea about the magical vet. Do you remember? You need to turn your pages over. Turn the pages over. Please turn the page over. Conrad, what did you think about that, that pitch, that uh, presentation? Uh, well, um, I thought that... Um, Lindsay was her name. Is that well, what you yeah, um, Lindsay was just speaking um, rather than um, the other person. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so you, you wanted to hear from the other person. Well, yeah, because all she was okay. doing was the clicking. <laughs> to be fair, she did that very well. Yeah, <laughs> but I expected both to talk. Uh, okay. Okay. Alice, what did you think was good about that idea? Um, I liked it because it was about something sensible. Sensible and made up. Sensible and a, a mixture of being sensible and made up. Can I ask, I want to ask um, you all a question. Did you think that it was more of a girl's idea or a boy's idea? bit too much focused on girls maybe. But would you like it Conrad? Or do you think it would be more for girls? I thought it would be a bit more for girls though. Okay. okay. Well you, uh, you, should, you should change about having just a dragon being your friend or you can have a, you could have a boy being your friend as a vet. Oh okay so you think there should be a boy character in there maybe? Okay, Deborah. What do you think could be could be made? 
Better about the idea, brace yourself. Put more animals in it. Put more animals in it. So because um, about the dragon, you don't have to just have a dragon's song. You could just have, like, the unicorn song or what? Or the mermaid song that they have on Rocket Island. There's an episode called The Mermaid Song. They could change it to The Mermaid Song. And then they could search, the vet could search for a mermaid. And then she heard her song. And then she followed it into a cave and saw a mermaid and nearly got turned into a sea turtle. <laughs> So just to summarise, <laughs> you like the idea of more than one animal and maybe some songs in there as well. Okay. Okay. Interesting that we touched on the kind of boys-girls issue. We mentioned um, would they would they pick up on one child kind of character? So we did a some amount of kind of uh, foreseeing what they would say. We didn't get the mermaid though, to be we fair. To be fair, we missed the mermaid song and the sea turtle adventure at the end. Could do better. How foolish are we? Um, and finally, we're going to think about John's idea. Okay, so this is the, the circus idea. Um, Conrad, what, what did you think about the, the pitch? Uh, well, um, I saw that... Um, well... He went a bit over time. He did. But he's the exec, so I couldn't say anything. He he spoke for about six minutes. He did. (laughs) But um, he repeated what he had already said um, sometime. Okay. This this is good for him. It's it's good for him to hear this. Nemo, what what did you think? Kick him while he's down. Well, he's a kind man. <laughs> and if you were me, it's like being a bully. Okay, okay that's good. Um, uh, hello, hello, Deborah. What did you think was good about that idea? Or what could make it better? What could make it better is the ringmaster to be killed. <laughs> and the giant to be put in jail. Ah, good and point. the bear to take charge of the circus. Oh, okay, good idea. Uh, Conrad, have you got any thoughts about what could make that better? Uh, well, well, I thought um, that the bear. Well, he only had a bear hood. He he had a bear hood and normal clothes on. So I thought he could have a, a bit more of costume. To go with a bear hood, so... Very good. And, yeah, have you got something to say, Alice? Well, the bear looked a bit too old to be four because he was way too tall. And the facial hair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good one. Conrad. Oh, no, sorry, Nemo. Well, it's like Yogi Bear, but Yogi Bear has got a full costume. Yep. And uh, you ju- you're just showing the face. You're, you're, you're just, you're, the head has just got bear, 
there. So you think it could have been a better costume? And then like... <laughs> and then it's just showing the face and bears don't actually have a beard, they have a whole furry face. That is an exceptionally good point, well made. Sophie, finish it off for us. What? Deborah! Oh, Deborah, sorry. What do you think could make that better? Already. Well, I've got another idea. Uh, the giant and the master should be killed and put in jail after. And then the bear takes charge of the circus and, and his sister helps him and she's the assist head. And then, no, she's the deputy. And then the assist head are the, are the people who were doing the tightrope. And then they all live happily ever after. And um, the children, when they come... They have exciting things to do and they get to um, be on TV. And at the end, they have a final and to see who wins the trophy of the circus trophy to be a cis head instead of those, I mean, no, a cis head instead of the two tie rope people. Because that's who's <laughs> going to be a cis head for the next series. And then again, again, <laughs> again. I mean, deputy head. Again, again, again. Okay. To, uh, a, a new deputy head for each series. Have you got an opening in your development team? <laughs> no. not, not at the moment, but maybe. Thank you very in much. A few years. Let's give them a really warm round of applause. Thank you very much. I've got one. I've got one final question for you, uh, or maybe two. Um, would you like to see all of those ideas actually? happen in real life? Would you like to see the Catasplat game as a real game? Would you like to see the Hattie B book as a real book? Would you like to see that circus idea as a real TV program? Would you like to see all of them happen? Or maybe just one or two? All of them. Hands up who would like all of them to actually happen? Or who thinks that the ideas are only good enough for one or two to happen? I think all of them. Hands up. All of them are good enough to be real ideas. And hands up, who thinks only one or two will be good enough to be real ideas? <laughs> Thank oh, you very so much. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But what I will say, what I will say is this. The Hattie B books are being published and launched today. That's not to say that the other ideas aren't and won't be happening, but it's a, it's a charming story. Sue and Lindsay came to uh, CMC uh, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? And, and met three years ago and met with publishers here, pitched them the idea, and it's being released today. So uh, it's a lovely idea. Guys, you have been absolutely immense and fabulous, and it's time for you to go back to school now. Yay! So... Uh, let's give them a round of applause. Let's give them a chance to get out whilst they can. I'll have you go. And Mini Dragons, we've actually got a little gift for you to say thank you for taking part today. So there you go. You can have your very own Hattie Kate. B. Well, book, I hope it is. <laughs> Snooze, you lose. Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, just tell me what. Just tell them what you said to me then. You said he, he's the guy. He's the guy for development. <laughs> Courtesy. He's the guy. Plays a big part. <laughs> um, so we have just got a few minutes to kind of uh, throw some questions to the the panel with regards to this specific subject of children, their decision making, their creative decision making uh, kind of uh, abilities, and how that impacts what we do as content makers. Anyone got any questions for the for the panel? Hello, um, I'm from the Globe. We make content for children, and I'm really aware of, although that we're trying to target children with the content, that we are navigating gatekeepers and trying to, and actually realizing that some of this content or some of the way that we have to frame it is actually trying to get it as an acceptable sort of this is acceptable content for my children. So making it so it's that sort of balance, and I just wonder. I mean, we're, we're just making it up as we go along, and I just wonder what your experiences are doing it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl, can you comment on that? Um, I'm not quite sure what the question is, the if I'm honest. Yeah, so the question is how, how, I suppose, how much you focus on the, the end user, how, how much you focus on the end user for the content, and how much you focus on the gatekeeper for the child when making content. The, is that one and the same for CBBC? Yeah. Are they their own kind of gatekeeper to your content? Um, essentially, yes. I mean, I, I, we. we we will, we always think about the audience in that respect. Um, again, sorry, I'm probably being really dim here, but I'm not quite sure. Are you, you, are you, yeah. do you mean I'm, you? Uh, no, I'm, t- I'm talking about like we, it's really important that parents trust. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Pa- you know, parents or teachers, yeah, yeah, yeah. the person that gives us access to that yeah. child. Yes. Um, because parents are, you know, are very, very aware of what their yes. children are looking at. Sorry, like. I completely understand it. I thought you were talking about you pitching. No, no, it's no, been no, I'm talking, I understand. That's I think you have to, it, it's everything in, in moderation, essentially. Obviously, we can't splurge a whole pile of content on the channel, which will have every single parent in the country up in arms. But similarly, we get a lot of complaints about almost every programme. So you're always going to get a parent who doesn't like Dick and Dom saying fart, or they don't like the fact that someone is being gunged. Or, you know, the, there's a very, very wide range of parental techniques and habits, and we can't absolutely um, and would never want to try and please everybody so um, the child is in a sense um, always the most important thing but I wouldn't say that we ignore parental issues I think it's about understanding that um, decision making balance as well because it's different for different things so for for TV programs parents often um, let the child decide much more than for something else say, for example, school shoes, for example. Um, so it's actually understanding that dynamic first before then deciding how much weight you put to who you're testing it with, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. It's about the, where, where's it going to be used, basically. Is it going to be like a parent and child experience? Generally, like younger kids and apps, they're, they're normally the kid will, uh, sorry, the parent will sort of load up the app for them and sit the room for the first bit. They may, maybe set them off if they're maybe a bit older. It might be a bit different, so you might have to be more explicit in the sort of in the app store or whatever your kind of marketing is so i think yeah it depends on the use case really any other questions or thoughts whatever there linda i was always interested in blue peter you decide because we watched right from the beginning and um at the end there were two boys and a girl and i was just interested in the voting was it's more girls that voted. Did, did you not distinct? Did you not know what the figures we, were? Or we didn't know. No, right. we didn't. Had no no concept of how how many. So um, did you choose not to know, or um, could you <coughs> could you have known if you wanted to? <coughs> That's a, 
as you know, the way that we, we work is that, that, that no real child's name ever comes up. You know, they have the, the, the special B CBBC code. So it's possible that if you went through with a fine tooth comb, if someone's called Unicorn Fairy Topaz, it's possible that that, would be, that would be a girl rather than someone who's called whatever, yeah. you know, Thunderbird. Da -da. Um, but no, we weren't, we weren't particularly interested in finding out that they don't have it. We were just interested in the end, the end choice. engage in the voting or in that kind Not, of thing? Not so I know, but it's, I mean, it's an interesting question, actually. I mean, uh, in terms of your query before about would we do this again and in, in what type of context. Um, so it, it's possible it's something we should do, but um, we didn't with You Decide. I thought it was really interesting. The Hattie B idea was um, explained as being based on... Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but the person's daughter um, and an idea that really sprung from a, a particular interest of a child and a really close engagement with what that child enjoyed. And I have to say, that's made me think short-term, quick-fire, get children in a room and talk to them about particular products and, and consult them in that way, is imposing a bit of an adult structure on something, and it's not at all me saying it should just be parents by any means, but, but actually better ways of getting to know children than... Than, than the whole kind of pitching dynamic. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Anyone want to comment on that? Joe, perhaps? No? <laughs> Rather than just actually showing them something and then getting them to answer questions on it, better, a better way of actually getting them to engage with what we're trying to test with them. I mean, I think most of us have a really, you know, big backstory of children's books we've read, children's mm. films we've watched, experiences with our families, being children ourselves. I, I wasn't convinced that we got everything those children could have told us mm. or understood or comprehended or, um, uh, you know, ha by their own ideas from, from structuring it in that way. And I know that sounds really critical, but I, it's a really interesting exercise because yeah. it kind of makes you think, does it work? And, and I'm just interested in what other people think. Can I just interrupt there and say that one thing we did get, though, which is very powerful and... Deborah, I think, was the, um, the main example of this. How much kids love being mini-me's. Mm -hmm. They just adored the being the dragons. Mm -hmm. And we get, as you know, quite a lot of criticism for doing Junior Bake Off or Junior Masterchef or whatever it is. But, you know, doing a session in, in this way, actually, I was just sat there just thinking, this is the biggest thing that's happening to them. They just love the fact that they are the dragons. And when the, sh the film at the beginning was being shown, they were just beside themselves because it was them being adults. So I think, you know, you do get useful, yeah. you know, not quite the point you were making, I know, in terms of their own ideas, but it certainly, you know, reinforces something that we've thought. And, and generally wouldn't necessarily re do the research in this way anyway. Mm. I think this is obviously sure, set sure. up for this session and I think like you were saying there's, there's much better ways of um, getting children's opinions than just firing questions at them and actually working in partnership with them and a lot of the doing the development work in partnership with them with an illustrator there drawing their ideas using different visual techniques um, helps them to get their opinions across a lot better we find out a lot more from them from a visual perspective I tend to find we've maybe got time for one perhaps two questions so we've got one here and, and one there next. thanks Cheryl, if you were to run the um, process again for selecting a presenter, would you consider having children involved in that long and short listing process before it goes to the, <laughs> these are the people we've selected, vote? Um, I mean, we could do, but I think there were, 
it, when you're choosing presenter anyway, um, there's so many different things that you have to think about um, in terms of this show and everything you know about the show and what a presenter needs um, that might conflict with, as I was talking about before, perhaps slightly more surface things that the children latch onto. Um, so we wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out, but I think given that we had quite a large shortlist, um, we felt satisfied that, you know, in terms of children relating and engaging with certain types of person, that we'd done a pretty, pretty good job. Good stuff, thank you. Um, did you have a question? Hi, um, I just wanted to go back to what the lady there just said about um, the way that the questions were conducted. And I just wondered, um, when you asked the kids, would you pitch, would you take all the ideas? And that kind of, in a way, they all, well, it kind of felt a bit like it was a leading, a leading question. question. And they all said yes. And they all said yes straight away. But then once you kind of defined it as particular ideas, that's when they started changing their minds. So I just wondered whether, you know, that's important about the way you ask the questions. Undoubtedly, <laughs> and by asking off the top of my head, I'm not a, a yeah, good example of how that can be done. Joe's probably there kind of face-palming <laughs> herself, going, why don't you do that? But, absolutely. I mean, is there anything, yeah, you want to kind of add to that, just how I misleading think, some things we can, we can get from children if we ask in the wrong way? I think it's really interesting to see how they reacted to the actual way that each pitch was conducted. Mm. The way that you present an idea to the child is they will judge it exactly on what you show them so if you are showing them test concepts etc make sure you are happy with what you're showing them because they will judge it on that um, and that will massively impact on what they say and definitely in terms of the leading question as well it's 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 obviously important that they understand that they can say no or mm. give give some critique it's on fascinating them. that they felt i think slightly out of sorts that you weren't involved in the pitch yeah, and i thought that was yeah. really interesting and um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, they obviously there was a certain amount of anxiety yeah. that you were yeah. being left out, and I yeah. thought that was intriguing. Sorry for you. And also that Kate has a voice like a butterfly, which <laughs> <laughs> means that she will be the next Blue Peter presenter. <laughs> <laughs> we have one final question, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, I mean it's not really a question; it's just an observation about what you were saying, and I think that's actually really true. But also, I just think it's really empowering for young people and children mm. to be able to give their opinion and to be kind of taken seriously. And I think they, you know, they're really capable and of, of actually analysing <coughs> pitches and ideas and they gave some really thoughtful insights, I think. So although it might be a kind of unreal setting, um, it is that mini-me, you know, every pitch is an unreal setting in some ways. But I just thought they had some very strong opinions that were really interesting. So, yeah, Good. I thought it was a great format. Thank you. Well... <laughs> Let me draw it uh, to a close on that on that bombshell. Um, thank you very much for, for being a part of this. I hope that it has been, well, it's certainly been entertaining in some way, kind of <laughs> informative and thought-provoking as well. Um, thank you to, to our panellists. Uh, I have an announcement to make at the end. I've been challenged to do this in a, in a showbiz entertainment voiceover. Um, <laughs> it's lunchtime! <laughs> And lunch packs are available for everyone in the Hubs building uh, across the road. Thank you very much. I hope you have uh, a good conference. Thank you very much.